0: Where are we going? Dunkirk. Well, no, 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 we're going to England. We have to go to Dunkirk first. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Look at it. Really?
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. Uh, I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 106, and our movie this week was the 2017 Christopher Nolan film, Dunkirk, and joining me to talk about it, returning from last week, is Nisbet. Nisbet, how you doing?
0: Good, good.
1: So we're going to do a little role reversal, because I had never seen Dunkirk before.
0: Yeah, so um last night, uh I I was really stupid. Um, because <laughs> I wound up watching this at like ten o'clock at night.
1: Ooh.
0: And yeah. now that you've seen the movie, you can see how bad of an idea that was. I didn't fall asleep till about three o'clock this morning.
1: I can believe that. I can believe that. <laughs> so um. it was
0: one of those oh yeah. Uh, uh.
1: Yeah, so, okay, 2017 film uh, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Now, last week, you and I talked about The Prestige. You had never seen yes. that one before. I yes. I love talking about it. It's one of my favorite Nolan films. I like Christopher Nolan quite a bit. Um, the Prestige yes. is, a, is a very interesting movie. This is so different from that. Yes. It's yes, kind yes. of amazing to think that it's the same. Now, I understand artists are are varied and yeah. they have a lot of interests. Um, it's uh, I will say this first off. It is a very, very good movie. It is very well it made. Is. I understand the praise that it has gotten. It's got a super high Metacritic yes. score. Mm-hmm. Nominated for it's... Best Picture and all sorts. Of... Interestingly, it was the it only Best Picture nominee the year that it came out that didn't get any nominations for acting, which I thought really? was was uh, and and I kind I can understand why.
0: Well, yeah, because I mean, you, you don't have it's very basically virtually all unknowns
1: it's a lot of unknowns
0: except for for the one did you catch the one or the two
1: well so we'll talk about that in a second here because I did catch quite a few um
0: okay now it it
1: it's a very good film it's very well made it's very well shot um which I have some thoughts on it's not an easy thing to watch and it's not no No, it's not it's not rewatchable in a in the way that other nolan films are where you're like man i just i want to understand it better so i'm going to watch it again the the it, it it's a heavy subject matter first of all i mean yes it's historical uh world yes. war Two era um yes you know the british um, um evacuation of dunkirk it's yeah. heavy it's very yeah. heavy
0: it's it's an incredibly heavy movie um I I don't know if it was fortunate or unfortunate. I'm still waffling on which one it is. Um, but I got to see it in the theaters uh, about the time that it came out. Not like right away. I think it was like four months or four weeks into the, run, the theater run Okay. that I saw it. Um, because when I went, the theater was empty. <laughs> <laughs> so except for the, you know, vets who were sitting, you know, a few seats away, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it was when the, it was, it was that kind of a, a scenario where I think in the theater, there was maybe six of us total. Oh, wow. Um, but I mean, I was okay with that. that this, this isn't a movie. Like you said, this was a, a very, very heavy movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Me being a bit of a history buff, already knew coming into the movie when I had seen it in the theater. Okay, well I know roughly what this is going to be about, mm-hmm. and so none of it took me by surprise the way that The Prestige did.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: So so even when I saw this in the theater, this there was nothing surprising to me about it whatsoever. That this was okay this is proceeding on pretty much how I imagined that this movie was going to proceed.
1: Gotcha. Which is the interesting. Level of,
0: the level of detail and where I would, and I would later find out accuracy was actually probably the most surprising thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the amount of grit that is in the movie, not like from the violence standpoint, cause that's, it's, this was actually pretty, Violence free?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a it's very tame on that front. Uh, um, like I would compare uh, I was just gonna say I would compare it somewhat to I have covered Saving Private Ryan for the show uh, a yes. few months ago, and that's and another. Back
0: and, listen to that one.
1: <laughs> and that's another and, movie that is uh, that is a very interesting encapsulation and, and look at World War Two, very different style to it. Yeah, but this um, I was I was expecting more visceral kind of um, along the lines of like the opening of Saving Private Ryan, that kind of visceral war type stuff. I I don't know why I expected more of that, but I expected to see something like that at some point. And we never really had that, which I appreciate actually.
0: Yeah, no, no, it was very well done. Um, So I have to ask you, which, which was harder for you to watch, this or Saving Private Ryan first time around? when you first saw it now granted I, I know that there's a age difference in here but mm-hmm. still
1: I would say this was a more difficult watch but for reasons that I'll get into later on in the show that's fair, that's um, fair. but it was they're they were kind of on that same plane where they're uncompromising but in different ways However, yes. this was more difficult of a sit-down-and-watch-for-me-now. And and there's a few production reasons for that. Um, less so the the material, because historical material, to me, is always fascinating. I, I love right. uh, historical dramas, and I prefer when they're more along the lines of something like this, where they're really trying to tell you what happened, as opposed to taking... Um, and doing a Michael Bay style where they, they take a historical event and then slam a a love story into the middle of it and blow up a bunch of stuff. Pearl Harbor, anyone? Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, now you mentioned kind of a bunch of unknowns. So I made it a point to not, uh, go do, you know, kind of the IMDB internet search thing and look at who's in this movie, who's coming up. I knew it was directed by Christopher Nolan, and right. um, I'd remembered some of the marketing materials for it when it came out a couple of years ago. But watching okay. the movie, I recognized right away, I recognized Kenneth Branagh. I actually recognized okay. Kenneth Branagh by his voice from his first line where he's the, the shot is him further down the dock. And he's saying yes. something to the yes. colonel about, you know, you need to know you need to, to decide how many injured are we going to evacuate because one one stretcher takes yeah. the place of seven standing men. And I was like, I know that voice. That's Kenneth yes. Branagh. And so, so I, re- I recognized him.
0: Where, where did you recognize him from, though? I mean, because, I mean, to me, he's still a fairly, I know. I mean, I'm still looking at his list and it's like, okay, well, none of these have I seen.
1: Oh, okay. So Kenneth Branagh, I, his extensive he, he
0: list is...
1: we covered uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein for this show a few months ago during Halloween. Okay. He wrote, and, he wrote, uh, wrote that one, directed it and starred in it. Um, he directed and starred in the mid uh, Murder on the Orient Express recently. Okay. Um, he also directed the first Thor film, which some people okay, don't, that... don't realize.
0: I did not realize that. No,
1: and and he's a huge Shakespearean actor. He's done uh, Henry the Eighth. He's done a bunch of Shakespeare stuff, um, both stage and film. So Branagh is actually somebody I like quite a bit. Um, and That's I love it. seeing him pop up and stuff. So I saw him, recognized him right away. I recognized Mark Rylance as Mr. Dawson, the guy, the old, the old man captaining the little uh, charter boat. Okay. But I didn't know him by name. I couldn't think of what it was from, but I've seen his face in other things yeah. and, and popping up here and there. Tom Hardy, I knew right away. Okay. Um,
0: That was, that was a big one I knew offhand. Yeah. And, and I remembered
1: hearing that he was in it and it, and again, I find it really interesting. Tom Hardy is very willing to hide his face in a movie. Yes. And so he, like they show him and then he slaps on the oxygen, you know, mask in the (laughs) plane and he doesn't take it off again for the basically the rest of the movie until the very end.
0: Until the very end. Yes.
1: So, but Tom Hardy, I mean, I mean, you, you can't mistake those Tom Hardy eyes. Yeah. Like He's just got very, very, very pretty eyes. Um, so I recognized Tom Hardy. Uh, the other Spitfire pilot looked so familiar to me, and I have no idea where I know Jack Loudon from as Collins. But I had actually had a note. At one point, he looked like with the helmet on, with the flight helmet, he reminded me of a young Simon Pegg for a second. And I don't know what that was about, but he was one of those where I thought I remembered, I thought I knew him from something looking it up later. I'm like, nope, he just has a face that, <laughs> that looks familiar. Yeah.
0: And yeah.
1: then I recognized, but I had no idea who it was, Harry Styles.
0: Yes. One direction. I,
1: I'd seen his face before, but if I hadn't known going into it, if I didn't know going into it that it was Harry Styles, I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, that's Harry Styles. Now I could. Yeah. Because as soon as I read the name, I'm like, that's why he looks familiar. I'm not a huge One Direction fan, but you you can't really live on this planet and not know who some of them are. Yeah. Here's the one, though, that I was rather proud of myself for because it's an uncredited role. And it was the third Spitfire pilot was voiced by Michael Caine. Yes. Uncredited. And I was like, oh, that's Michael Caine's voice for sure. Uh And, I mean, it's a Nolan film, so...
0: Well, Odds yeah. are Michael Caine's popping
1: up in there somewhere. It's,
0: it's, yeah.
1: Um, um, but yeah, those are the ones that I recognize by, by face. I did find out after the fact also that James Darcy, um, yes, was the, uh, the, um, Colonel Colonel. Yeah. And I was, as I was watching the movie, I'm thinking God, he looks familiar, but I can't place him from anything. <laughs> and it's another one of those actors that you just seen a bunch of stuff. And he was Edwin Jarvis in, uh, and yeah, Agent Carter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So was, there's a few of those. There's uh, Killian Murphy. I knew right away. Yeah. I've been a fan of Killian Murphy since I saw him in Twenty Eight Days Later. He's great. Um, but they had a lot of young unknown actors in this. The 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 son yes. on the boat, um, Peter, and then George. Those two kids. Uh-huh. George looked really familiar to me, but I he's I don't not. know him from anything. He's, he's not.
0: at No, all. <laughs> he's not. He's he's he. he, he uh, to give you an idea, I mean, he has been in a few things, but like outside of the UK, yeah, he would be a fairly unknown entity. Yeah. Um, so the, the French soldier,
1: that. the, the Frenchman that's Gibson, I didn't, I didn't know him from anything. Uh, you know, um, Finn or Fion Whitehead, Tommy, kind of the, the quote unquote main character or top build or one of the top build, like,
0: yeah.
1: you know, he's an unknown, Really, Harry Styles. This was kind of his first acting that I can think of. Yeah, um, no,
0: yeah, that's about right.
1: But it was it was a lot of unknowns that that had impactful performances with not a lot of dialogue because this is not a dialogue heavy movie.
0: No, well, it's not. It's actually very very light on the dialogue, which is for a hundred for ninety minutes or so. That's unusual for a movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, low dialogue in a movie itself is pretty unusual. And typically, if you're going to get a a lesser dialogue, what you get is it's an action movie that won't have a lot of dialogue, but it'll have it in between the action sequences. So you're getting like big set piece, some dialogue, big set piece, some dialogue. This was
0: bits and pieces sprinkled throughout the entire movie.
1: Yeah, it was very uh, the performances were very much driven by by visuals. It was uh-huh. visual storytelling. It, it's incredibly well done. I was surprised yeah. at the length of it too. An hour and 46 minutes total. Um, yeah. Because again, it's a, it's a Nolan film. So I'm expecting this two and a half hour sweeping epic. And it was, it was very different from what I anticipated going into it, knowing what I know of Christopher Nolan. So that was, yeah. that was interesting to me. Um, so but yeah, the the acting is just, it's good. Everybody is top notch. Um, yeah. And it, it helps, I think, when you have younger actors, you have lesser known actors, sometimes it can help to have less dialogue because you don't get bogged down and oh this person doesn't know how to read dialogue. They can it, it feels more improv to have set pieces set up, these staging, like the whole opening of the movie, um, with them going through that town, uh, and him running away, because he he stops to he stops to take a squat and then the gunfire happens. And he runs and he's jumping fences and he's trying to fight back and that jams and he throws the gun, you know, he throws the rifle, he's jumping again, he's running, he's running, running. And then he finally yeah. gets to the beach. Like all of that's so impactful. And then he's undoing his belt to squat again. And I, all I'm thinking is that would have been taken care of like three or four blocks back. You don't need you, you don't need to shit on the beach. You're, you need a change of pants is what you need. Yeah. But
0: <laughs> yeah, that's very true. He, yeah, no, he would not have needed to go at that point. It would have been done and over with.
1: That was that was taken care of for you. Um, no, I just I really I enjoyed the performances, like Killian Murphy as that kind of shell shocked um, soldier or yeah, uh, he did sailor. A very very good
0: job. He, he
1: a- was great, and he had a f- an interesting little arc because you kept waiting for that traditional film watcher in me is waiting for that moment when he has the complete freak out and, and tries to hurt people and we sort of got it, but it was so short. Yeah. And then after that, he just collapses and
0: it was a flash in the the pan. It was a snap. was just just that quick.
1: Yeah. And, and meanwhile, you've got Peter who's going through a big arc because he's excited to help out he's excited to yeah. be doing something good for the for the cause. We don't know until the very end of the movie that part of that is because his brother was in the Royal Air Force. That was a mm-hmm. fun reveal. He gets very upset with uh Killian Murphy's character when he does finally have his freak out and he hurts George. Mhm but then he realizes that it wasn't on purpose and telling him at that moment that he had killed George was going to make things exponentially worse than lying to him in the moment and letting him think that the kid's going to be okay. So like that character, that character of Peter had a really interesting voyage through this movie.
0: Yeah. So I'll tell you when I first saw this in the theater, uh, Kellyanne's character, I wound up, Incredibly mad with, mm-hmm. like initially because of him pushing George and then invariably in, in killing him indirectly. Yeah. And but this time around, like I was able to sit there and watch it because this was because the boat scenes are like, or this time around were some of the few ones I could stand to sit and watch their entirety without hitting the fast forward button. <laughs> uh, um, but so this time when I was paying more attention um i did realize that he, it was right out it was basically during the freakout, so it wasn't on purpose and that at the end that I, I did realize that yes peter absolutely had done correct thing in lying to the soldier and saying that he would be fine because i'm sure if he had said no you killed him it like you said it would have been exponentially worse
1: Oh yeah. Cause now he's, now he's going to start freaking out on this boat right. full of other soldiers. They're just pulling out of this oily water yes. that they've literally yeah. seen men dying in because the water caught on fire. Like yes. all that, that would have been the last straw. He was already under so much stress. Yeah. And, and he was already and, cooking it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That so, would have been just the, the spark that would have set off a powder keg hundred
1: yeah, percent. And, and it's interesting because, you know, when he first gets on the boat and Peter is talking to his dad and saying, and George is too. And the father is saying like, look, he's shell shocked. He's not, he's not right. He may never be right again. Yeah. Like, you can't understand what this guy's going through. And these two young kids, they don't, they have no idea yet. So,
0: no, no they wouldn't.
1: Peter grows up a lot on that one little boat yes. ride that takes probably a day. He grows up yes, he a does. lot during all of that. And the, the reveal then at the end that his brother was in the RAF, I thought was a really good way to make a connection as to why the father was so dead set on, on helping and getting there and doing this. Yeah. Even knowing, like, it wasn't like, oh, maybe my son is over there and I can go rescue him. It was, no, he was in here. He died three weeks into the war. We need to do what we can to help. Like that was, that's powerful.
0: Yeah, it it actually it, yes, it's incredibly powerful and it's, um, it the, the, so you can kind of because you you had messaged me right after you had seen and had basically said, "Hey, let me pull that up again because that was <laughs> an interesting." It was a, it was a very uh, do it without having the thing freak. Uh, yeah, so. Um yeah, because you're like, good gravy. I can see why you said that you'd watch that uh only watch that once.
1: Yeah, it's so there's a few reasons why it was a tough first watch for me. I I will inevitably watch it again. I have no doubt of that. I'm I'm like that. (laughs) But there was a few (laughs) So there's a few things about it that are that are tough on a first watch. Uh part of it is that it's it's heavy material. But also, from a filmmaking standpoint, Christopher Nolan refuses to tell a story in a linear fashion. He's, like, physically incapable of doing that.
0: But also, in this one, it kind of served it well. It made sense,
1: and I get where he was going with it, but it was tough to track at first.
0: Well, yes, but then you also have to consider, well, you have a section that is almost entirely on land, Mm -hmm. a little bit out in the ocean, you have one part that's out and up in the air. Yeah. And then you have one part that is almost, it is entirely ocean going.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I understand the, the point of it where, where I was having trouble and what made it difficult this first time. So in the prestige we talked about last week with the time jumps and how that worked and there were things that could, that could denote it, right? Like if Hugh Jackman had a limp or not. Or, you know, there were little, there were little cues. It was harder at first to follow the fact that this wasn't being told in a linear fashion until you start, I started to realize like, wait a minute, everything they're showing, they keep cutting back and forth between these two scenes and one is at night and one is during the day. And then you realize that the stuff that's happening at night is happening prior to the boat. Correct. And so it just, it, it took me a little bit longer to wrap my head around how the threads were tying together.
0: Yeah, so to to give you a better idea uh, for for the time framing on all of this, the RAF pilot and out and uh, out sortie and coming back is it's about I don't know exactly the how long it is out over the uh, channel, but they had mentioned in the movie like an hour of fuel on site. I think yeah, it was.
1: I think that was about what they said. It's like an hour, so you so have to figure. Your,
0: it's what sick that it means they're probably flying for six hours max start to finish.
1: Uh, Yeah. If that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So if that, so using as a long, you know, outside long duration. Mm-hmm. So they actually, for in preparation for this movie, um, Nolan actually took that exact same path across the channel.
1: To about, see how yeah. long
0: it would take. It took them 19 hours due to
1: the weather. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, and 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 like I say, I understand it. Just this time around, it took me longer to to connect the threads. I'm like, okay, so now I see Killian Murphy in this scene. So this takes place before he gets on the boat. So okay, and then you realize that you're seeing Killian Murphy with the Harry Styles and Finn Whitehead Fion. I don't I don't know how to pronounce that first name. Yeah, Uh, Whitehead Tommy. So you got Tommy and Alex. So they were with him at one point. And so it was just, it was trying to like connect the dots that made a little bit tougher of a watch. But the other thing that was a much tougher watch for me was the music. And I know that in some ways that's by design the way Hans Zimmer, because I was reading a little bit about it this afternoon, Hans Zimmer did the music and he initially actually wrote it as one, long hour and 40 minute piece of music.
0: And that with him, that would not surprise me one bit. <laughs> no, not at all. Um,
1: just um, because
0: of who he is, but, um, yeah. and that's just his style.
1: It's, it, it's really interesting to me because this got nominated for the Oscar for best score. And it's not a, and I love film scores. I, I love them. They're one of my favorite genres to just sit and listen to. This is uh, an incredible score. That I will probably never listen to on its own, not because yeah. it's not well written, but it's not like it's designed to make you feel uncomfortable and to ratchet this yes. constant ratcheting of tension with the way they use and I can't remember what the um what the musical theory or what the style is called, but it basically sounds like it's constantly moving up the chart, moving up the musical yeah. chart, um, yeah, even though it's it. Obviously, it can't. At some point, it reaches too high a frequency, but it was not an easy thing for that because that music, that that score track sitting behind it gave you this constant feeling of kind of dread and time running out and all this kind of stuff. So it made it really difficult to get through in some ways. Yeah. Um, again, probably by design by both Nolan and very Hans Zimmer. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, very, very much so. I, I would imagine very, very much um so so sort of a quick aside Mm yes quick aside anyway um so to give you an idea of exactly when this is taking place um the retreat was well actually this was this move during the evacuation from dunkirk is also known as the miracle at dunkirk Mm -hmm. uh militarily speaking it's known as operation dynamo yes um this happened basically within the first month, the first four weeks of um, Churchill's tenure as uh, prime minister.
1: Yeah. Which I didn't know that until I was reading after the fact yeah. I knew, I, um, I didn't realize it was that early in his tenure.
0: This, this also is effectively part of the battle of France too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and what had happened is, is that the Belgian forces had, basically surrendered and which left a gaping hole and so the germans had basically routed the french and the uh the english back and then a pocket had gotten trapped at dunkirk
1: Mm -hmm. okay
0: um from what i understand churchill had gotten told uh they basically very quick. well by i'm sure a lot of standards very quickly put together the operation and had it go underway to get uh, as many people as they could out.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, they, what did they say? Something like 300,000? They, they managed
0: 336, to 336,000 plus were evacuated. Um, for every seven men that they were able, able to evacuate successfully from Dunkirk, there was one loss. Okay. So they managed to get seven out of eight people or seven out of eight soldiers evacuated from Dunkirk during that period. They were then able to also evacuate later 150 or so. So all told it was like something like half a million soldiers that they were able to pull.
1: I mean, that's pretty incredible.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, But the entire thing, this from, from what, of the timeline i know and from the clues given for uh, like the boats um the specifically the the civilian boats uh this is probably starts the first or the second of june at the latest okay uh and it goes through probably this the third or the fourth when it ended um the it was and then he made his uh was it fighting on the beaches yeah um speech churchill did not that long after Mm -hmm. um and he was only expecting thirty thousand to be able to make it so you know they managed to get 11 times that out so you know morale ran high Mm uh after that um like on paper yeah this was a massive defeat for the for the british and the french um but in a lot of ways, it was still a huge victory for them too,
1: well, um, because yeah. they
0: were able to pull so many out. It wasn't a a military victory; it was a moral victory. It was more. a morale victory that they had pulled off, mm-hmm. um, which, for that stage in the war, was actually more important. Um, because there, are est- because and I did a bit of digging. I mean, it's the internet; it's all there. Yeah. Um, I did a bit of digging, and it, from what I can understand, um, it sounds like if they hadn't been able to pull it off the way that they had, Britain probably would have surrendered.
1: That is what I had read a little bit about, too, because um, I did a little little bit of research on it, and it sounded like that. Like If they had not pulled this off in the way that they did, that they would have surrendered, which would have changed the whole landscape of the European theater completely
0: yes, yes. and um, it would have made it would have made the the american the the new well we'll put it this way the new world entrance into the war a lot harder
1: yeah absolutely. specifically
0: the american side mm-hmm. um, because now you're not looking at hey britain's trying its best to defend the oceans and keep the the u-boats from going too far not having a very good time of it but still right. doing their best um so that effectively freed up uh, space for the U.S. convoys that we would later start sending nine months later as part of the Lend-Lease. Yeah. Or, yeah, nine months later as part of the Lend-Lease. Um, and then that was, I mean, the Lend-Lease was about halfway between Dunkirk and Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. So this was an important battle. Yeah, it was technically a loss, but the implications of...
1: Oh, yeah. What if absolutely. everybody had died,
0: it still weighs absolutely heavily across history.
1: Yeah, it's because, it's frightening to think how different things would have gone. Yes. Um, and and what, what kind of outcomes we would have had from that. It's important, and I think it's an interesting story to tell. And what I liked about it... So... And part of why I definitely will go back and watch it again at some point, not right away. I'm going to give myself a little breathing room, <laughs> I was gonna say. which I do often with war films anyway, because yeah, because war films that, that are set in real life situations, world war two or Vietnam or something like that, because it's something that has happened. I, I tend to give myself a little bit of a breathing room before I watch it again. But part of what made this so interesting was this is not a, typical World War II film in any way.
0: No, no, there, it's not.
1: There is not a single German soldier that appears in this movie. Eh. Um, it, there's a couple eh. shots right at the end where right. you see some out of focus, like heads at the at, at yes. the edge of frame or something, but yes. nothing from the German side and no German soldiers. They don't run into anybody. They give you the red herring of thinking that the, the guy who isn't talking is a German for a short period of time Harry Styles is yelling at him and it turns out he's a French soldier who just wants the hell out of there which I get um, but it's uh, it, it, so it's interesting in that respect and I like that I like that because we don't need to necessarily see either side of things or even see them run into anybody like you don't see you see German warplanes and and that's about it. and then some shots fired. So that was interesting to me. And I also think that from a production standpoint, music aside, the music was was difficult, but it's done on purpose, so I can appreciate it. But the technical filmmaking of this is something that I want to watch again because I think it's very – it's so well done. Nolan is such a technician when it comes to filmmaking, and he he gets the crew that he will put together, whether it be yeah. editing or sound, yeah. which this one – so this won three Academy Awards. This won yeah. Academy Awards for uh, for film editing, sound editing, and sound mixing, and it deserved all three of those because I, I, I honestly wish I had been able to see this in a theater with a sound system oh, it because was, it had to have just been so much better, insane, so much
0: better in the theater. Um. So speaking of production notes, um, this. Also was done. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> I have something else for later, but I forgot what I was going to say for this part. so that's all right. Well, another
1: thing you know, is the visuals. So, so it's a very visual film, um, which yeah. you know th- that sounds kind of redundant, right? The film is a visual right. medium, but it's it's a visually striking film, and it being yeah. Nolan and me not really paying that much attention to all the credits of every film the last 10 years, it being a Nolan film, I assumed it was Wally Pfister who was the cinematographer. And then I look it up, and turn off, it wasn't him. Wally Pfister nope. stopped doing cinematography in 2012 with The Dark Knight Rises, and he went on and did some directing of his own, but he, he didn't do a uh, cinematographer-director-photography of photography again until his own uh, video short for Taco Bell Web, Web of Fries 2. Um, so I had thought it was him. It was not. It was, uh, and I'm going to butcher this name and I apologize to you, sir. And your, your wonderful, (laughs) amazing hair, uh, looking at his IMDb photo, but Hoyt van Hoytma is how I'm going to pronounce it. And I'm sure it's wrong, but he's, he's from Switzerland. He is, uh, looking through, I'm, I I am blown away by some of his credits. So Mm -hmm. he, his first. Well, his first major film was uh, a film called Let the Right One In, which I saw in 2008. It's a, a Swedish, I think Swedish, uh, vampire movie. And okay. it got remade in the U.S. called Let Me In um, a few years later. But that was really good and really well shot. Uh, the Fighter, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. He was director of photography for Her and then Interstellar. Uh, Spectre, James Bond film. Um, then did oh, this, okay. uh, Ad Astra, and Tenet are his most recent ones. And yeah. he, so his camera work was incredible in this. And they, they shot the whole thing IMAX, the yes, whole movie. Yes,
0: they did. Yes, so, actually, and they did not do it in a single digital form. Yeah, no, they didn't. I was to mention
1: it. They Nolan, did not touch yeah. Yeah. Nolan hates shooting digital. He he tries to shoot everything in film, and I understand yeah. it. That's that's what he likes. And, so that's fine, and it works for him. But at the same time, he's also got to lug around a 250 pound camera, or yeah. even the the light one that um, they would strap on this guy was 60 pounds, and would make him top heavy. So they had to have the key grip, like holding him in place for because they were they were shooting stuff in the water, and and all sorts of crazy ways. So I can just imagine, and those IMAX cameras, they ain't cheap at all. No, no, they're at not. At all. They're not. But I was really impressed with his cinematography and, um, and what this guy was able to do. And, um, and, and then when I look through and I look at some of his other credits, I'm like, okay, it makes sense. He, he's basically replaced Wally Pfister as Chris Nolan's like personal cinematographer. He's part of that yeah. circle now. Um, yeah, it did not win the Academy award for, uh, cinematography which it was up for. Uh it lost to Blade Runner 2049 and Roger Deakins. And if you heard my episode on Blade Runner 2049, I get it. Like that movie deserved the Oscar. Uh this was good, but it wasn't quite at that level. Um but that's hard to do. Roger Deakins is an, another one of those that is just a, an incredible cinematographer. Um Yeah. But the the work that they did with with telling basically three separate stories of air, land, and sea, mixing them together so well. And it had, it had that kind of very flat color palette that normally would sort of bum me out a little bit, but I, it makes so much more sense here. Everybody's wearing the same clothes and it's, you're out at sea and it just, if you've ever been on an ocean, or in the middle of a uh, body it's of water. Very, it's it's very weird feeling, yeah, and everything yeah. looks strange. So, uh,
0: Well, and as I say, in terms of the color palette, too, I mean, with it being flat, I mean, for me, in my head, a good and proper World War Two movie generally has a much more flat palette mm-hmm. like this. Well, um, and
1: when you're looking at anything that's in Europe, To anything from the European theater, because you've got, you're almost always dealing with, uh,
0: grays, whites, grays
1: and what you're in Germany, you're in France or you're in the UK and everything's bombed out and everything's blown to shit. And yeah, everybody's wearing their drab olive or brown uniforms or gray uniforms. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's like this rusty or, uh, patinaed metal. So it makes sense. It makes perfect sense to have it all, um, color graded that way. Yeah. And didn't, didn't bother Um, me at all.
0: So would you believe that they, uh, the Dunkirk parts where they're actually in Dunkirk, would you believe that they actually went on site to do this on location?
1: I heard that. I read that. And that's to to me is pretty phenomenal that they were able to pull that.
0: So they not only were able to do that, but they also wound up getting, uh, the city of Dunkirk to help them. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the entire part where you see the city, they, one, blocked off the areas that they needed to. They developed a basically a a city department to help handle all of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they also restored the areas that were going to be uh, in the movie, or at least visible in the movie. They restored back to what they were in World War II.
1: Yeah, they they definitely, um, production design... This so, was also yeah. up for the Oscar that year. It lost out to The Shape of Water, which I have not seen. Uh, it's one of the few Del Toro films I haven't seen, but the production design was just unreal in this. Like It, it looked so good, and it helps, right? Like When you shoot in yeah. the ocean, you can get away with a lot because you're not going to see much. So right. production design there gets scaled down to, all let right, right, let's, let's get this boat, which I also read that they had somewhere between 20 and 40 boats... That were used in the film were actual boats from world war ii that had made that trip yep
0: that's correct so uh they actually also had found some of the uh, uh ships the military the destroyers and whatnot uh had actually also like not necessarily been part of the thing but they were able to either put them out to sea far enough uh because they were like museum ships by that point mm-hmm. um but they were able to basically use actual um royal navy ships at least close to that at least from close to that era mm-hmm. um to be put into the movie too so that's, that's great pretty and much I, yeah
1: i heard For, they also Nolan got a couple much, oh go ahead
0: uh yeah so don't pretty much didn't really spare like the expense at all for the production value of this. And it, it, it shows itself. It really oh, sure. does show itself.
1: Yeah, I read that they had a couple <clears throat> of actual spitfires that they were able to mm-hmm. use, um, uh, including the, the, the one the, that lands on uh, Dunkirk yeah. Beach, and they had to yep. then hastily get it off the beach because the tide was coming in.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. They had a 45-minute window, and they're like, well, okay, I'll do it once, pull it off the beach as fast as they can. The thing got stuck, and so they were just rapidly trying to get the thing off beach but yeah so that was that was in fact what they had and, done and i think it helps Maybe. too
1: when <clears throat> when you uh when you cast more unknowns you can put some of uh more of your budget to your production design in a lot of ways yes you know it's a yes. reason why horror films are so cheap to make right because you shoot them at night you cast a bunch of unknowns so you can put all your whatever money you do get you can put into production design and try to create an atmosphere um or you're a young director and you just buy a bunch of Coke, but either way, like one, one way or the other, you're not spending a ton of money on making the film um, from the acting standpoint. But, but Nolan not having to like, not only did he cast a lot of unknowns, but even the known names that he did, Killian Murphy, Michael Caine for the probably day that he was there to, to record his voice, Tom Hardy. These are people he's worked with before and like working with him. So he could probably get them to do it for, I mean, Michael Caine probably did it for a song, just because, you know, he didn't have to be there for that long. So that again, that brings down your your budget for acting that you can put into the realism of this and the technical advisors. Because I did, I also read they had some actual survivors of Dunkirk um, as technical advisors too, which I thought was really smart. Um, and it just it's such a well produced film with such a, an interesting, simple story. Um, the characters, I don't know that I would call them overly complex, but they also aren't supposed to be. These are like your soldiers are kids. You know, uh, Tommy, at the beginning of the movie, I'm looking at him and I'm just like, he's a baby. Yeah, and He looks like he's, and, and I have no idea how old um, the actor was when they made this. Uh, I can look that up, but he—he's just—he's just a child. He's so young. Harry Styles is so young, and they look it. And they're just trying to survive. And that was the other thing that made this different from a lot of war movies is there's not there's not a bunch of heroic characters and heroic moments. You have that great moment where the Spitfire shoots down that dive bomber right at the end. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, the rest of the movie is really just about surviving and getting out of there. Uh, which is so different from most war yeah. films. So yeah. I found that very interesting. Um, he,
0: so, um, yeah. So part of it too, <clears throat> like because I mean, you could kind of tell that the soldiers felt like, okay, the RAF basically abandoned us. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they were actually protecting them because they were actually farther inland. Fighting yeah. the Spitfires, and the, what the two or three that they would see are the only ones that had gotten through.
1: Yeah. And so that...
0: and instead of the, we'll call them a you know a squadron of Spitfires, they saw two maybe three, mm-hmm. and that was because their RAF guys, their RAF pilots, uh, managed to halt all but the few that got through.
1: Yeah. And that was that was a neat thing to read about. Um and I understand also why it wasn't brought up explicitly in the film. Like they they have that moment at the end where everybody's getting off the the train and off the boats or they're getting off the boats before they get on the train. And the one soldier yells at Collins. He's like, "Where where were you when we needed you?" And then the father um that had picked him up was like, "Look, these guys understand where you were." type of thing, you know, the ones that were coming off the same boat as him because they had seen him in action and he had helped make sure that they got out. And that was a, a fun moment, and they didn't have to then tell us, oh, yeah, by the way, the you know, the RAF did all this. We don't need that in this story, but no. it's, that's great to hear about afterwards. Like, yeah, there, there could have been, there would have been a lot more German uh, planes coming in, dive bombing, but they were taking care of them inland. And you could see... How good the the British pilots and those Spitfires were, um, in this because they only they had three of them, and I mean Hardy himself manages to take down how many guys?
0: Yeah, he takes on like right? three or
1: four planes by himself. And I did also read that it is historically accurate that that plane could have run out of gas and flown for that long. Yeah, kind of gliding back and forth. Which, yeah, that's such a, um, a interesting looking <laughs> image yeah. to just see that plane see that spitfire coming in and the propeller is not moving at all. And it's just gliding on by quiet yeah. eerie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, um, what well, is, and it's funny too, uh, <clears throat> what they, so there was actually a reason why they picked that particular, uh, boat, uh, that particular civil, uh, civilian boat to tell the story about. Okay. Uh, because the ship was named in the movie, the ship is named the moonstone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, believed that the ship that it is replacing is the Sundowner. Okay. Which, uh, now, uh, which, um, for the people that were actually on the boat, you know, at least departing from, you know, England, uh, there were, in fact, three people. Um, But the, the owner's name of the Sundowner... Was Charles Herbert Lightoller? Okay. Do you know that name? You should.
1: I feel like I I should should. know that name. No, no, you
0: absolutely should. He was the most senior surviving member of the RMS Titanic.
1: Ah, that's right. Okay. Now I'm remembering.
0: They wanted to. From what I can gather, they wanted to tell his story. With a few creative liberties, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted to tell this story, but without having to bring up the Titanic and say Titanic. Because I so... just would have that one whole third of the movie, which is a, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> so they just substituted a few names and there you go.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to I was going to talk about Christopher Nolan for a minute. Um so if you go into IMDb and you look at Nolan's director credits, uh yeah. has a total of 16 credits. Now we can take off the documentary short um K Key, I don't know how you pronounce that. And then uh there's a British short film and a couple of shorts early on in his career. So you take those off, you got about 11 films. 11 motion yeah. picture feature-length films that he's directed, starting with Following is- and ending with Tenet. Um Now, I have not seen... This is his first
0: war movie. Yeah, (laughs)
1: this is his first war film. Now, I have not seen Tenet yet, so I can't say where I would put that on a list of uh, Nolan films, but I have seen pretty much everything else he's done, um, save the shorts. And this is up there for some of his best directing work, in my opinion. Um, And I think because what I notice with this movie is he has figured out, a lot better how to block and stage and direct an action sequence if i when i compare this to action sequences in something like batman begins i never felt like i understood where anything was in some of those fights and some of those action sequences i would lose perspective i would lose kind of my place in the on the map so to speak he blocked this stuff out so much better that even though I was confused by the timing some, for for a while, I eventually kind of figured out what was happening in, in what kind of an order. But his ability to direct action-related sequences with the the fighting, the the dogfights in the air and that circling around like the, the ship getting hit by a bomb and it's capsizing and everybody's jumping out of it and they're having to swim to, to shore, they're having to swim here or there. He's gotten so much better at that on top of being able to tell these stories that he's always been good at since back when I first saw Memento and his ability to tell stories that are just like left of center and kind of a weird, weird way or weird time framing or whatever um, type of stuff that he does. Like he's just gotten so much better. It's not it's not my favorite Nolan film or even in my top probably three favorite Nolan films.
0: And and that's fair. But,
1: but because, the reasons for that are more so because some of his other work I've done I enjoy more. This isn't yes. This isn't this a is film to watch and enjoy.
0: enjoy. No, it's not. This is this is a this is almost a learning film. Really, this is almost a te- uh, teaching film.
1: In so, in a lot of ways, yeah. Uh, it is it um, is an art piece. And it is a, Hey, here's something that actually happened and we're going to try and make it as accurate as we can. I'm sure there's stuff they left out. There's stuff they changed. Obviously characters uh, are sort of amalgamations of different things. Like right. that's filmmaking. I understand. So,
0: that. Well, and it's funny you say that too, because apparently too, from everything I was able to find, um, they had some of the survivors at the premiere in uh, the UK. Hmm. Um, The only thing that they really complained about was, like, some of the soundtrack was actually louder than what it actually was. (laughs) Which is
1: nuts to think about. Which, yeah,
0: it's like, okay, well, that's not something you ever hear. And it's like, it was just, I guess Nolan just decided to pay that much attention to detail and to the accuracy of the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. it just it was just that way.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, hat tip to him. This is... From a technical filmmaking standpoint, this is some of the best work I've seen out of Christopher Nolan. Like just just yes. filmmaking. There's a shot in the beginning of the movie, and I think you may have mentioned this to me maybe in Discord or something. Uh, there's a shot early on in the movie where Tommy is, he's on the beach and there's a di- there's a bomber coming in. And so he drops to the deck and the bombs, and this shot is framed with him and his hands over his head. And you're watching the trail of the bombs come in and get closer and closer and closer. And it's then such, stop. yeah, it's such a well framed, well shot moment of film, and it's oh, yeah. really, really compelling. And it sets a tone right away. Like the opening of this movie oh, yeah. sets such a good tone for what you're getting into. Uh huh. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I I I really enjoyed the experience of watching this movie. And at some point I am going to watch it again and, you know, be able to, to take in even more, but it's worth seeing, even if you're not a big war film fan, I think because it's so, it's not your typical war movie. It's not your, you know, uh... the good guys versus the bad guys (laughs) and the good guys coming out on top. Like it's, it's a, it's more about survival.
0: It's It's more akin to, which what's the Tom Hanks movie where he's stranded on the island.
1: Oh, uh, uh, Castaway. Castaway,
0: yeah, it's more akin to Castaway than it is Pearl Harbor or even uh, Midway.
1: Yeah, I would say that. I mean, in it, the way that is... Saving Private Ryan was a, a war film that went in a different direction, and it's still your, t- it's still a more typical Hollywood war film uh, for World War II. But it, it's, it sort of broke the mold and it got away from. It took this uncompromising view of what World War II could could be like. This yep. went kind of takes that even further, but it also is able to be, it, it's able to be a film about world war two that doesn't need to have like this, uh, big, uh, big statement that it's making. It doesn't need to span the entirety of the war. It doesn't need to even show a German soldier the entire time. And it doesn't have to be super like viscerally graphic and, yeah. And, and yet still be affecting and still really grab you.
0: So yeah. and this entire movie probably spans two, three, four, maybe, maybe, maybe five days
1: Oh, if at that, most. yeah.
0: Yeah, if that. So you're getting a very, very short window, but you're also getting the entirety of probably one of the most crucial points in the early war.
1: Yeah. And it's because done. This... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I mean it's just it's done in this way too that it can have this tension about it because of the way it's edited because of the way the music is and how the music feels like it's constantly swelling but it never quite crescendos. I think my note and let me look at this because what was it? It's was an hour and 13 minutes into the movie. This movie is an hour and 46 minutes long. At an hour and 13 minutes we get our first actual like orchestral swell of music that feels like a film score up until that point, the, the score is much more of like rising strings and clocks ticking and all this stuff that you, you feel and is there and it's serving a purpose, but it doesn't feel like a film score. So it takes over an an hour, almost, almost what, probably 75% of the runtime before you get that. So it's just, it's this really interesting experience because of that. And I mean, I think it's worth doing. And like I say, because it's not like there isn't a ton of uh, graphic on screen violence. You're not seeing, you know, people with limbs blown off and blood everywhere. It's, it's more it's approachable. More yeah. It's, oh, it's very much implied, but it's more, it's a much more approachable thing. Even when the the George falls and hits his head at first, I wasn't sure what he had hit because you see him go down and then you see him on the ground, but you never see blood, really. I mean, you see a little bit in his hair on the back of his head, but it's not like it's not, it's not pouring out. There isn't this, this big, long thing where you see like, oh, he hit his head on this thing. I mean, he didn't go that route. It was much more implied. And I appreciate that because it actually makes it more impactful when you find out how rough he is, because you have to find that out through the reactions of other people, not through this we're going to show you a head wound type of thing so
0: yeah it was it was yeah that was this movie was very unless you know the history do coming in exactly what was going on i mean you were still right there with the folks in the movie Mm -hmm. you're right there learning as things were unfolding yourself yeah absolutely there was there was no way unless you knew ahead of time what was happening there is no way for you as the audience member to go, oh, hey, I know what's going to happen. I know roughly what this is, what's going to be happening. It's going to be this, 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 and this. No. No. Yeah. Uh, you can have an idea, but unless you like go and like read up on everything, you're not going to, you're playing catch-up with the uh, cast, basically. You're yeah. playing catch-up with the uh, military.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's I liked it. I I liked the movie, um, but I also fully understand why you would say I've seen this movie before. I don't know that I want to watch it again. I'm yeah. glad that you did. Yeah. I'm glad that you put yourself through that I'm, to come on and talk I'm about glad this.
0: I, I'm, I'm glad I did too. I'm glad I did, did too because if nothing else, at least I got to refresh my my brain of oh yeah, these are the parts I really didn't like for <laughs> silly reasons or these were the hardest parts to watch. I'm, I can remember what happens well enough. I'm just going to go ahead and fast forward through this part.
1: Yeah, and, and basically what I would say is to anybody that's thinking about watching this, give it a give it a watch. When I say that it's difficult, it's not because it's uh, it's visually like arresting in a way that's going to make you uncomfortable, but it's this combination of very dour story, especially to start, And even the ending though, it's uplifting because they all got home and it's well, yeah, but the way the main characters, right. The main characters, (laughs) but even the way it ends is kind of ambiguous kind. It's not really a, a happy ending, but it's also not like a completely unhappy ending, you know, Tommy's home, but now he's like, great. Now what? Because Alex, who, since they got on the boat has been upset because he thinks nobody's going to care and everybody's going to spit on them and think that they're cowards and retreating and all of this. And now he's seeing the praise of all these people that they come home to. Meanwhile, you've got Tommy who's reading Churchill's speech in the paper.
0: He's doing a very good job of it too, by the way.
1: Yes, he is. Um, it's like the most words he speaks in the entirety of the movie. And, <laughs> but
0: I'm sure they, I'm probably sure that they probably found a copy of the, the actual paper and just said, here, read this article. Yeah. This, these are your lines.
1: Um, <laughs> but it was, it was great. Because, and then it ends with, it ends on two very interesting shots to me, the burning spitfire, because uh-huh. when he lands on Dunkirk and that's the bummer of it is Tom Hardy's pilot gets captured. Yes. Um, But he lands on the beach and he shoots the flare mm-hmm. into his plane and, bl- and, basically burns his plane down uh so it doesn't fall into enemy hands but it ends with that shot of the plane and then i read that that was going to be the final shot of the film and it was going to cut to black and it does that for like a half a second and then you see tommy again and he gives this look from the paper like he just gives this this very interesting i can't even describe the way that he looks and then the movie ends yeah so
0: well because you also see the paper too right that's that mm-hmm. scene right yeah yeah yeah. and i i think it's that that paper uh, i think it's that look of okay great you have it in. you have something in there but it's not as much as i would have liked look. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. i like it it was okay you did it you could have done better it was that look.
1: kind was, of yeah yeah
0: <clears throat> it was Yay, you did it! But at the same time, what the hell? You shortchanged it.
1: <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, the things with this movie that make it a difficult watch are intentional choices by the filmmaker, with with music, with visuals, with the the way that he plays with time to make you uncomfortable while you're watching it. On Which... top of on on top of it being a story that is, you know. It's it's a it's a low point and yet also a high point in the early part of World yes. War II. Yes. So it's um, got all that kind of going for it, which makes it for a very compelling film that I do yes. feel like if you haven't seen it yet, you really should.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean this, this this is also what a month and a half or something like that before the Battle for Britain, of Britain begins yeah. and the bombings start. Right. So I mean, you know, there's there's that. So, and, and yes, I would say if you haven't watched this for anybody who is listening, yes, please, please, please go watch this movie. Um, Because not, I, I don't know how many people truly understand how shitty of a war this was. There between this and saving private, I, I still feel like it's, it's whitewashed. I I still feel like this movie in some ways whitewashes how crappy. That oh, for
1: sure. Is. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not. And, there's no way for us to know. Right. At this point, yeah. like none of us can. But when you have people who were in it, who can watch this movie or watch Saving Private Ryan and have the reactions that they do and say, look, this is as close as we can get to the feeling that it was like, or, or, you know, this is very accurate to what was going on. That goes a long way.
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and I, like I was saying, I feel like this still whitewashes, you know, the European theater. And this is the, was the like, okay, Africa, North Africa was probably the easiest of the um, theaters. This was the middle one the Pacific was so much worse. Mm-hmm. So, so much worse. And yeah. I, I don't know how many people understand that. Um, because there's a few things that you get when you're on land that you, when you're at sea, like they be able to, the ability to have just one or two people go off to the near city and have a weekend, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, in the boat with in the Pacific you just didn't have that no my 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 grandfather actually uh, uh, he's actually sort of the reason why I sort of try and study World War II as much as I can even though it's not like my degree Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah so my grandfather actually served in the Pacific theater okay Um, and as when we were young, I mean, he told us these crazy stories, but there was nothing like about the fighting itself. It was, you know, Oh, Hey, they, the iodine pills, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when they got back, they just dumped everything overboard instead of just trying to save it. They just dumped it all overboard. Cause it's like, Oh, whatever we don't need it anymore. But like, it was just like lighthearted stuff like that. Or, you know, him taking a rope, you know, and swinging from a, a short, um, hill into the river, you know, to go swimming. <laughs> it was stuff like that because he was in the uh, core, the engineering core. Okay. Um, and so we never, as kids, never, I never, as a kid got how bad it was. I mean, I know my, my uncles and my mom know, as mm-hmm. they lived with him through like the, most of the, the immediate, whatever, <clears throat> but, um, it wasn't until, because um, he died in twenty thirteen, okay, and he towards the end he he started having more and more severe PTSD from mm. the whole thing, and the only real regret and why I say go watch this, um, is because the one thing I I wish I had done, and had been old enough to do, was and to understand to do was to ask my grandmother to basically sit him down in a chair, turn a tape recorder on and have him just talk about his time. Yeah. Because that point of his point of view is now lost to us forever. Mm-hmm. We no longer have the ability to go get that. Um, and um, my my grandfather is also another reason why I, I tend to when I see you know a World War II vet I tend to uh, do a lot more for them than I might otherwise do for even somebody from like the Korea War or Vietnam or Desert Storm or Iraq and uh, Afghanistan um, because of how shitty of a war and how much BS that war ultimately was. Um, it was, it was a politician's war that got a lot of people killed.
1: Unfortunately. Uh, and, and there's a lot to that. Uh, but yeah, I just, this, this is a film that I recommend people see, even if you only watch it once it's worth, worth watching. Um, because of the attention to detail.
0: I, I really do hope that this is one of those that high schools when they do that day of you know showing the kids a movie in a history class I really do hope that they use this at least a few times
1: this would be a great one for that yeah because um, I can remember in my high school we watched Schindler's list
0: we did too except I never got the chance to see any of the movies strings the, for the, the social studies classes because oh. like I always somehow I always somehow like wound up having... Um, like either a dentist appointment or another <laughs> doctor's appointment just or, happened to fall on that day, right? Well, and it didn't help too that I was went to the math and science center. So it's like, well, okay, well that plus that it's like, okay, that's just rubbing salt into this really right. nasty wound. So I like so like Schindler's List. I didn't actually get to see until I was very much an adult and very much done with college, mm. and. That was, yeah. So, um, but yeah, this one.
1: This would, I would put that (laughs) on that list. I think that this would be, because again, it's not, there isn't a bunch of graphic violence that you have to worry about uh, with certain parents not wanting their kids to see. Okay, I get that.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and there's, there's not a bunch of language because it's hardly any dialogue. Um, Yeah. But it's a very, it's a very interesting and very uh, poignant film. And it's got a lot of detail that uh, I think is, is, worth seeing so I definitely think that you should see it plus it did really well in the box office Yeah.
0: and, and, and surprisingly honestly, small is, budget and this is supposed to be an R rated movie and this is probably one of the cleanest R rated movies I've ever seen yeah in terms of I just, mean truthfully
1: like truthfully is, I, I don't know where they get the R rating from in it myself I can't I can't figure that out given they, what other movies I have seen with a PG-13 rating yeah uh Th- this why? could
0: easily have flown flown under a pg-13 and it probably actually would might just straddle oh, i guess straddle it was it water. was pg-13 oh
1: it was pg-13 yeah okay i'm just looking at it now Dun- dunkirk pg-13 I, hour and 46 I, minutes that makes I, much more like sense
0: you, yeah it does okay well that <laughs> makes this that makes it a lot more easy but it also feels like this is still a fairly clean pg-13 movie yeah like, well
1: and, and again
0: it feels like it almost rattles that PG PG 13 boundary
1: in some ways. I can see where, where parents of anybody under the age of 13 might be like, let's give it because it's very bleak. Um, and and there's a lot of, there's a lot of subtext and there's a lot of like subconscious parts of this. that would be rough on a younger kid. Plus just getting younger children to watch it itself would be tough. But definitely at a high school level, um, when you're when yeah, you're and going through World War II, this would be something that would be worth uh, worth having as part of your curriculum. It's it's a very very well made movie. Right, um, it's, it's, it's just not and, an easy watch.
0: And I and I think the fact of oh hey if it's PG, younger kids might see it. Might be why they just said okay well PG thirteen. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, um, I mean, yeah.
1: He, you know, look, uh, when it comes down to it,
0: survival's not fair.
1: Survival's not fair. So yeah, Absolutely. It's a absolutely. really, really well-done movie. Well, uh, Nisbet, I want to say thanks. This was this was another great uh, conversation, and this has been two fun weeks in a row. I, I really enjoyed yes. talking to you about Prestige last week and this. So yes, thank you. Thank you for bringing this movie to my attention and getting me to finally watch the damn thing.
0: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, we should definitely do this again at some point. Uh, I have had an absolute blast both times. Good, um, good. And I got to see a movie that wasn't on my radar, but at least I had some idea of knowing that it existed and it was not something I would have probably watched without having been prompted. So I got something out of it too. So thank you for that too.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We'll definitely do this again. Thank you uh, so much. Now, if you want to be like the mad yokai or Daniora and come hang out in our chat room, um, I do record, I mean, yeah, NISBIT when you're not on the show, you're in the chat room every week. I love it.
0: Like, or at least I try to anyway.
1: Uh, usually yelling at me about West wing. Um, uh, well you, you figure well, out a, you figure out a way to work West wing into just about every movie. And I love that either. It's an actor that shows up in the movie we're talking about. And you're like, Hey, he was I on this episode. This what? Like,
0: I, can't, I can't do it this week. <laughs> I, can't I know, do but it this week,
1: but, but I, but I enjoy that. Like, I actually look forward to how is Nisbet going to work? Something into West Wing, because until I watch it, I, until I actually sit down and watch the West Wing, I'm not gonna know, right? So it's it's a fun game. But uh, if you want to be in that chat room, I record the show Sunday nights uh, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash TV's so about 8 p.m. Eastern time. So adjust for your uh, your desired uh, time zone. But um, you know, come on, come on, hang out uh, and uh, and yell about West Wing at me, because uh, that's always fun. Or not. <laughs> or not. Uh, the show comes out on third Wednesdays Sorry, Wednesdays uh, at tvstravis.com is the the most centralized spot to find it. Uh, from there, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any podcatcher of your choice. You can search for a weight you haven't seen um, with a question mark at the end of it, and it's it can be tough to find. So if you do listen to the show and you do enjoy it, if you can leave a review um, and rate it uh, that helps make the show more discoverable to people that haven't seen it yet and make it easier to find when you do search. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Now next week I have a fun one. Um, It's going to be a movie called uh, frailty from 2001 and page from the reverie. True crime podcast is going to come on to talk to me about this one. I, she has never seen the movie before. I have. It's directed by Bill, ba- Bill Paxton. And uh, I really enjoy this movie. So I can't wait to, to chat with her about that because she does a true crime podcast. And this has got some kind of true crime elements to it because there's sort of a mystery involved in, in what went on. Um, I don't know. I don't believe it's based on anything real, but, uh, but it's going to be a fun one. So that's going to be next week Frailty, starring Bill Paxton, Matthew McConaughey. Um, and it's going to be Paige from the reverie true crime podcast coming on to talk to me about that. So come on back for that. That'll be great. And after that, I've got a couple of weeks with, um, back to back with, uh, the so wizard podcast, Joey and Aubrey and Adam, uh, are going to come on for, uh, two or three weeks here in April. Um, and we're going to talk movies with them. So still working out exactly what movies we're going to do, but that's what I've got coming up. Um. So yeah, Nisbet once again, thank you so much. We'll do this again. Um, we'll find another movie or we'll find another one that you do like and maybe find somebody else who hasn't seen it and get a, get a little roundtable discussion going on. We'll, I love that. We'll have some fun. Until then, just remember to, uh, to get out and in, or stay in and enjoy your movies. Um, and things are getting better, but it's still a good idea to be excellent to each other.
0: hope you have enjoyed this program <laughs>